This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Michael Kirshen talks about how Satan tempts us. How do we fall into Satan's traps? What are the traps he sets for us? Well, let's find out. Father Michael is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. Right now, we'd like to welcome in Father Michael Kirshen. Father Michael, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Doing great. Well, let's uh, first off, I'm going to have you introduce yourself, if you would. Um, obviously, you've got some ties to Fort Hayes State University. And so let's let's talk about about that a little bit this morning and uh, give us a little background on Father Michael. All right. Sure. Yeah, sounds great. Uh, Father Michael Kirshen, I've been ordained a priest for two and a half years. I think that's right. It's, uh, it's hard to keep track of time because so so quickly. I'm here as a priest in Hutchinson, Kansas, at Holy Cross Parish, and we also uh, help take care of Holy Trinity Parish in Little River. So it's about, I guess, probably two-ish hours south of Hayes, Mm -hmm. great little part of the country here. And as you mentioned, I have ties to Fort Hayes. I was an undergrad there for five years. I was on the five-year plan when I graduated high school. I I went to Fort Hayes uh, from 2007 to to 2012, got an accounting degree. And those were some great years. Had a lot of good times at campus, uh, at the campus center. And uh, I think I was there when Divine Mercy Radio first hit the air. Yes, you were. If it was, that that was in 2010, so you would have been. Yeah. So I kind of just remember an excitement around that adventure, like, cool, we're going to have Catholic Radio in Hutchinson. So um, kudos to you guys for doing all that work, and uh, it's very cool to see you now, eight years later, still rocking and rolling. Yeah, it has been it has been great, um, and it's it's exciting the fact that now the network has uh, grown or grown into a network of four radio stations, and so that's been very exciting. So, Father, just quickly, maybe in your in your time at Fort Hayes State, who are some of the the priests that were in, that you were involved in at that point? Yeah, so that was still in the in the heyday of Father Fred Gatchett at the at the campus center, who I know um, had a lot to do uh, on the radio. But mm-hmm. many people listening to this will will know Father Fred, I'm sure, and he was a big time help for me, not just in in discerning the priesthood, but in becoming passionate about the faith and caring about the faith, and seeing that our our Catholic traditions were intelligible and made sense and were something that that we could be excited about or that I could be excited about. I'll never forget the day that uh, I think Father Fred, I, I must have talked to him a little bit, but not that much, about potentially going to seminary and becoming a priest. Uh, but I was fairly active at the Campus Center for the, the last couple years in college, and the vocations director was visiting one day, and uh, after Mass, after a daily Mass, I saw Father Fred out in the lobby, and he just kind of put his put his hand around the back of my neck and steered me into the room where the vocations director was, unbeknownst to me. And it was like, all right, you need to talk to him. And uh, basically, was was like, all right, stop stop playing these games and and have this conversation. So I'm really really grateful to Father Fred, and uh, wouldn't be here without him. That's for sure. 
Well, uh, and, and where did you grow up, Father Michael? I grew up in Garden Plain, Kansas, mm-hmm. which is a little ways west of Wichita, small right. town there. Right, okay. Yeah. Well, let's uh, get into it this afternoon and or this morning and, and talk about how Satan tempts us, you know, and, and really what to do about it. We talk about these things in order to unveil his strategies and, and fight against them. So let's talk a little bit about Satan and how he tempts us, and I'm going to let you kind of get started on that. Sure. Yeah, and I appreciate that setup because that, that subtitle— is really important. And we say, well, how does Satan tempt us is one thing, but then what do we do about it? Because uh, that's just exactly like you said. We're trying to see how he works in order to combat and defend ourselves. And it's it's kind of a temptation, I think, and we're seeing it more and more. We have to really take care not to develop a fascination with demonic ways because he is really clever and he is quite powerful. And some of the things that he does could really almost hypnotize us in, in a way that makes us want to know more or to learn more, um, sort of like that, that fascination with the dark arts type of thing. So we just want to always be on guard against that. And we talk about Satan and his ways for a very specific purpose. And then we recognize when that purpose needs to be corrected or, or fled from in certain cases, and I think we'll probably talk about that later. But in general, I guess I, I just want to say that this this is a battle that we can always win because the, the Lord is on our side. And Satan, for all his cunning and all his cleverness, you know, I don't I give him a lot of credit, I guess, if, if you can say it that way. But we also want to remind ourselves that he, there's always great weakness in how he tempts us. Um, because because he's filled with so much violence and hatred, he, he often can't see the little things that that we might be able to see. So uh, to use an example, you know, the Lord of the Rings, uh, many people love this, this story. And if you're not familiar with it, it, it's not complicated. There's this, the good side and the evil side, and there's this great ring of power that whoever wields it in battle will, will be almost uh, indestructible. And so... It's a it's an evil ring and it falls into the hands of of the good people and they they want to destroy it and the evil lord Sauron there's only one way you can destroy it and he is in control of that one way it's this volcano with this lava so but he goes out in order to find it himself in order to wage war and leaves the, this mountain this volcano completely unguarded because because it just doesn't uh, cross his mind that someone would willingly destroy this ring. I think they say that in the book. Like all he had to do was put one guard at the door of this volcano, and he didn't do it because how in the world would someone willingly throw this thing away? And that's the, those, those little hidden ways where Satan leaves himself completely vulnerable because he just can't conceive of the way that Christ laid out for us. You know, the supreme example of that is, is God becomes man and, and dies. Okay, the reason Satan was vulnerable to that is because how in the world would that, that's inconceivable to, to him. Why would you, first of all, become man? And second of all, why would you allow yourself to die? And so that's becomes, of course, his ultimate defeat and destruction. So just a reminder to ourselves that those ways are as clever and cunning as they are. 
always vulnerable. Well, let's kind of talk maybe in some general terms here, you know, before sin, after sin, and kind of talk a little bit about that, if you would. Sure. Yeah, and, and this is probably probably things that many Catholics have heard before, but just in general, the, the way that Satan speaks to us and whispers in our ears, if there's a particular sin in our lives, you know, before we do it, leading up to that moment of, of ultimate choice and temptation, it's what is he whispering us? Oh, it's no big deal. It's not that. It's not that bad. You know, you'll be fine. Just go ahead and, and do it. And then the action happens. The sin is committed. And then afterwards, it, he flips it completely on his head. He's like, "Whoa, you did what? Um, that's too big of a deal. Now you're really in for it." So it's just something that we all experience, and we all know this. But good to to keep in our minds explicitly that both of those are lies that before leading up to the sin, if he says it's no big deal, well, it is a big deal. And then after the sin, wow, that was something else. I can't believe you did that. Mm. Yes, but there's always mercy. There's always forgiveness. Obviously, I think you're, you you make a great point before saying, hey, it's no big deal. After it, it, he makes it a big deal. But, you know, let's talk a little bit more about some of the other struggles that happen about maybe the only, you know, people feeling like, you know, sometimes when I sin, I feel like I'm the only one that struggles with this sin. Talk about that a little bit. Right, yeah, and that's that's so common to us. And it's usually centered in our lives around perhaps one or two particular sins where where we just think, oh, my goodness, you know, no one else is, is falling this many times or falling in this way, and I am just the worst for for continuing to, to give in to this or that. Um, or whatever it may be. And that, again, that's a temptation of the evil one, because Scripture tells us that that all men have fallen short of the glory of God, and we're all in this together, to use a cliche. Um, so, look, it's it's not really our place to, to know and to discern the sins of others, but it, it is important to know that others do sin, and that you are not the only one, um, because that certainly leads to despair, and despair is another work of the enemy. Uh, and I, I want to maybe go a little deeper there and clarify that, because uh, the, the testimony of the greatest saints on on the surface might seem to contradict that. So we know many of the greatest saints in their writings uh, claim themselves to be chief among sinners. You know, I am the worst sinner that there is. And so, or are we saying that that is a temptation of the devil, or are we saying that that's a realization of the saints? And it's tricky because it sounds the same, but you have to ask yourself, okay, what is the fruit of these whisperings in my ear? If I'm telling myself, or if I'm hearing, I am the worst among sinners, and I can't believe I'm the one that's doing this over and over again, and that's leading me into despair and discouragement, and not building me up, well, of course, then that's a temptation of the enemy. If I'm hearing whispered in my ear, if I'm recognizing in my life, I am chief among sinners, and what that's doing is is driving me into the merciful arms of my Father and giving me more gratitude for His great love towards me and seeing my smallness, but in spite of my smallness, uh, the great heights to which God calls me, then that's that's not a tempting voice, but that's an, an encouraging voice and one that 
helps us to come more face-to-face with reality. You were talking about, you know, do I, am I the only one that struggles with this? Those are all of these things that come about. And the other one that we, uh, we tend to run into and we read it in Scripture in Luke is, and we, I, you know, I mean, I've done it before, too. It's like, man, I'm not as bad as that guy. Maybe touch a little bit on that, Father, if you would. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It comes from the Gospel of Luke. It's one of Jesus's uh, many parables in that gospel, and it's basically, you know, at least I'm not as bad as as that guy or or that girl. And I want I wanted to share the the Pharisees' words because it's almost comical, the the caricature that this Pharisee speaks with. I mean, we re, we hear his words, and it's hard not to laugh until we realize maybe I don't say these same things out loud, but I say them in the depths of my heart. So when Jesus is telling this parable, it's it's a Pharisee and a tax collector, and both are a, approaching the temple area to go and to pray. And it says, The Pharisee took up his position and spoke this prayer to himself. O God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I pay tithes on my whole income. And it's like, how, how in the world is that a prayer at all? But that's what we whisper to ourselves, or rather Satan whispers to us, is that, yeah, but but look what these other people are doing. Man, can you believe that? You're so righteous. That's not the voice of God. Uh, that's the voice of the tempter. And that if we wanted to give it a, a one-word name, that's comparison. Um, and so when we ask ourselves, how does Satan tempt us? That's one of his chief strategies is, well, let's compare yourself to others. And then for the end goal of, of either being puffed up with pride that you are so much better, or being discouraged that that others are so much better, and it can work in both ways. Uh, rather, the lesson of of this parable, Jesus wants us to be like the tax collector, who very simply raised his eyes to heaven and beat his breast and prayed, "Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner." And let let all that other stuff, let those comparisons uh, be put to death within you. Our guest this morning is Father Michael Kirshen. We're talking about how Satan uh, tempts us. And let's talk a little bit about St. Ignatius this morning. Yeah, so uh, he's all about the discernment of spirits. And that's one way we could we could talk about how do I know the, when the voice of the enemy speaks to me? How do I know when he's tempting me? Well, you have to discern the spirit. So like you said, probably we've been talking a lot this week about his rules of discernment, and perhaps even this first and second rule has been brought up. In the context of of Satan's temptations, uh, it's just important to remember that that St. Ignatius first tells us that we must recognize the general direction of our lives. Are you growing in virtue? Are you moving towards God? Or are you growing in sin and vice? Are you moving away towards God? He says these are the two most general directions that that we move. And and in fact, we're always moving in one of those two ways. There's no real such thing as as, um, being stagnant or still. You're you're moving in towards God or away from Him. So once we figure that out, once you honestly look at your life and say, this is the direction that I'm moving in, He gives a couple of rules to help you discern uh, temptation. And he says, so when you're moving away from God, when your sin is increasing upon itself, he says the enemy's voice will be uh, apparently pleasurable 
you know, and proposing to you sensual things, comforting you in a way, uh, if, if we want to use that language. And that, how true is that? That when we're we're living a life of sin, it's well, you're you're not so bad. You're fine. This, the psalmist says, "Sin speaks to the sinner in the depths of his heart." We pray that during the liturgy of the hours, and uh, so true that that is that it, it's difficult for us to be pulled away from a life of sin when we are deepening ourselves into it, um, because it it's comforting to us in many ways, and so Satan will just continue to build upon that that comfort and that pleasure um, in, in whatever way that that is. Let's talk a little bit about, Father, um, f- fight or flight. Uh, maybe uh, get into the parable of discipleship, talking about that, and, and I'm going to let you take off on that as well. Sure, yeah. Uh, so the, the fight or flight, I mean, we're just asking ourselves, how do, we, how do we interact with Satan? Do we fight him or do we flee from him? And the biblical testimony is, is pretty clear that um, both are options that are available to us. And so it's not always an easy question or a one-size-fits-all type of answer. Uh, the, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus gives a parable about discipleship. And so it's not—his primary intention in this parable isn't to talk about temptation necessarily or or, bat, or battling Satan, but— we can sort of glean its wisdom and, and apply it to this case. And this is a familiar parable to all of us. He, he's talking about taking up your cross, and he says, you kind of need to sit down and make plans and preparations for this. He says, what king marching into battle would not first sit down and decide whether with 10,000 troops he can successfully oppose another king advancing upon him with 20,000 troops? So he's saying, sit down and decide, can I be successful in this battle? And then he goes on to say, if not, while the king is still far, far away, he will send a delegation to ask for peace terms. Now, of course, we're not going to uh, send a delegation to the evil one to, and to ask for peace terms, because we know how that conversation would go. But that can correspond to the, the okay, maybe I just need to flee from this moment. I, I have decided that this temptation is too strong for me, and so I'm going to just remove myself from the situation. In other cases, you might you might say, I can, with my um, trust and faith in the Lord, I can enter into this battlefield, and I can come out victorious. So we might, you know, we call that the near occasion of sin. We want to avoid the near occasion of sin, but we also recognize that we live in a fallen world, and so you can't just hide in a corner all day long and never face any sort of temptation at all. Um, But we need to be honest with ourselves about what we can handle and what we can't because uh, of the power of of the evil one and his cunningness. And uh, just sort of as a general rule, maybe, we remind ourselves that uh, most of the time temptations of the flesh are the ones that we need to flee from those tend to be the the more powerful ones and, and the ones that if we put ourselves in that occasion, we're going to fall. Um, so th- to give probably, you know, the most innocent example that I can, just imagine someone who really loves ice cream and, okay, uh, I'm at the store and I'm celebrating something today and so I'm going to celebrate with some ice cream. Now, I could buy the gallon tub of that ice cream, uh, 
or I could buy just the one little pint or whatever, however ice cream comes in smaller sizes. Like I say, if I buy that gallon tub, I can celebrate tonight with a bowl of ice cream, and then I could have some ice cream over the coming weeks. But be honest with yourself. Am I strong enough to win this battle? If I buy the gallon of ice cream, am I going to have it at home and end up eating four or five bowls tonight and potentially, you know, trying to see if maybe I could eat this whole thing in one sitting? Just just realize that with temptations of the flesh, it's much more difficult for us when we're in the moment to say no. Uh, So the flight response is to say no when we're not in the moment, is to say no at the grocery store before before we we find ourselves on the battlefield. Uh, I think that's an excellent point, because I know what I, Father, when it comes to the ice cream, I know what I would do, so uh, I I guess I would need to buy the pint size uh, with my my lack of self-control sometimes when it comes to food. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. We'll be right back with more about how Satan tempts us with Father Michael Kirshen. On double-edged sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture on Divine Mercy Radio. How Satan tempts us. With Father Michael Kirshen. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Right now we're talking with Father Michael Kirshen about how Satan tempts us. And let's... Let's now kind of move into the fall, and uh, you know Satan is very, uh, very deceptive, and let's talk about that and his work with the fall of man. Uh, maybe take off on that a little bit, if you would, Father. Sure. Yeah. So now we're getting into uh, what, what's the biblical testimony about how about Satan and how he works. And before getting into the fall, I think we know this, but just to remind you that Satan's words are recorded three times in Scripture, the fall, of course, being the first, and then the most memorable, memorable perhaps, being Jesus's temptations in the desert. The third one would be in the book of Job, when Satan speaks to God. There's also a couple other times in Scripture where Satan doesn't speak himself, but his words are, are recorded or referenced. And so I thought, you know, it'd be good to just have a sense of that. What What is the biblical testimony? What does Scripture tell us about, about Satan and how he speaks and how he works? And, and a lot of these are familiar stories that we know, but we also know that that Scripture is, you know, this double-edged sword that that pierces very sharply and and that it's a, a bottomless ocean that, that we can never stop gleaning wisdom from. So, you know, with that being said, you mentioned the fall. Um, something that we all know, but just it, the snake comes to tempt. He comes to to tempt the woman, and and his words. He approaches Eve. Did God really tell you you shan't you shall not eat from this tree or from any of the trees in the garden? Did he really say that? You know, just kind of like setting her up a little bit. And of course, yeah. Well, he's just this one tree. We're not supposed to touch it. We're not supposed to eat it. But we can eat all the rest. And, of course, uh, Satan responds, 
you certainly will not die, you know, if you, if you touch this. God's tricking you. Why is he tricking you? Because he knows that when you eat of it, you will, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like gods who know good and evil for yourselves. So he's, he's sowing, you know, the this, this seeds of, of doubt uh, in God's goodness and, and trust in him, and, and really presenting them with a good. So we think that Satan is just trying to get us to do all these bad things, which in the end is is true, things that lead to our destruction, but he's always disguising them as something that is good. We wouldn't sin if we didn't think in some way our sin was good. Uh, so that's important to recognize that in the, the account of the fall, the serpent presents Eve with something that's very good, knowledge of good and evil, and then um, allows them to cho- choose that towards their destruction. Uh, there's also some biblical testimony in the book of Job. Uh, fill us in on that. Sure, yeah. So Job is, of course, this very popular account of the problem of, of evil. What is our human response when evil befalls us? And so very early on, Satan is sp- speaking twice in this book, speaking to God, but revealing his intentions uh, towards us. So the Lord is basically bragging about his servant Job. Look how blameless he is. Look how God-fearing he is, doing good and avoiding evil. And so Satan, of course, says, well, yeah, it's because you're, you're giving him so many blessings. You've given him great family, great flocks and herds, and uh, he's, he's rich. Of course he's going to fear you and praise you and bless you. He, he's receiving everything from your hands. And so Satan, in this first instance, is given power to, to take those things away from Job. So we see it's interesting because uh, in Satan's temptation, he has a specific goal in mind. I want to turn Job away from God, um, but he does it through material means, by, by killing his herds and his sheep, even um, falling, felling the house that his children are in. And so we see here that he's allowed to manipulate the material world. And so we shouldn't be surprised at that. Not that, again, we don't want to develop a fascination with that. Like, uh, I've got my coffee mug in front of me now, and uh, I don't think that necessarily Satan is going to be allowed to, like, pick up this coffee mug and smash it into my face right this second. But he is allowed to have influence on the way that that things are, even materially, even though he's not a material being. And so it's good to know and good to recognize that his temptations aren't limited to spiritual realities, but bleed over into the physical world. Let's go a little bit in, Father, now to the prophet Isaiah, a song of victory of the Lord recounting Satan's fall from grace. Share with us uh, some insight on the book of Isaiah. Sure, yeah, you said it. And in Isaiah, there is an account of a song of victory. And and this isn't necessarily giving a testimony of how does Satan tempt men and women, but it is sort of revealing his inner self, his inner workings. And so in this song of victory, of course, it's 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 messianic. It's all about God's throne and how he mounts the heights of Zion to rule 
over heaven and earth forever. So language that we're familiar with. And it's almost mocking maybe isn't the right word, but in this song of victory, Satan's plan to distort that victory is sort of laid bare. And uh, this, let's see if I can find the words here. Uh, Yeah, so it puts these words in Satan's mouth. It says, In your heart you said, I will scale the heavens above the stars of God. I will set up my throne. I will take my seat on the Mount of Assembly. I will be like the Most High. And of course we know that that's always his intention, but that's not in the providential plan of God. And so he's cast down, cast down to Sheol, it said. So much so, cast down so far that that Isaiah says, when they see you, they will stare, asking themselves, is this the one who made the earth tremble and who shook kingdoms, who made the world a wilderness and gave captives no release? You know, as if to say, this is the enemy. He's he's so weak. He's so destroyed. And this is a, a future future vision. So it's important to remember that uh, this is his fate, ultimately, and the fate of those who join. The other thing that that this reminds us of again, and we spoke about this, I think, earlier on, Satan's plan is always to ascend the throne and to be like God and to be high, to be prideful of his place. And so that's why when we talk about how is how can we defeat him and how, or how could we participate in Jesus' defeat of him, rather, um, we're always talking about humility because Satan can't conceive of it. He just simply cannot conceive that someone would not do everything in their power to strive for the Almighty's throne. And so uh, these little deaths that we live every day of our lives that we choose, these are the most effective weapons. Yes, because they they join us to the cross of Jesus, the ultimate death, um, but also because it just flies in the face of Satan's plan. I'm going to choose to die to myself or to this desire or to that intention. And I willingly give myself up in this small death because I know that it is through this humility and death that will come life. Uh, the, the temptation accounts in the Gospels, Jesus' temptation accounts. Let's maybe go there and talk a little bit more on that uh, this morning, Father. Sure, yeah, and that's probably the, the one that's most familiar to us. And we're blessed as Catholics to have have the account of this in our liturgy, it's in our lectionary. So, you know, we don't need to necessarily say everything about it, because we're familiar with this and we've heard it preached on. But just to remind ourselves that, that Satan presents the Lord with three temptations. Um, first, to turn stone into bread to satisfy his hunger. Uh, Second, to kind of put the Lord to the test and say, you know, throw yourself down and let the angel save you, prove that you are the Son of God. And then the the third one is, look, just just bow down to me and I will give you all these kingdoms to rule on this earth. And um, very powerful imagery, very powerful um, emotions evoked in this in this gospel. And of course, our our blessed Lord defeats each one of those temptations in turn. The one thing that I would maybe want to say about it is notice that, that Satan is always trying to to find some common ground with the one that he is trying to tempt. 
that. Like, look, look, you're hungry. I get it. You're really hungry. Just turn these stones into bread. You have that power. Uh, or, or most clearly, you know, it's scripture itself says that the angels will protect you. So if you throw yourself down, like they'll take care of you. We believe in the power of these angels, right? And uh, it goes back again to Satan's ultimate end is is for destruction, but he's never going to make that clear to us. He's always going to find some good or some common ground in order to make the package look desirable. I remember, yeah, I'll go ahead and share this story. I maybe hesitate a little bit because I don't want to say anything bad about, about other religions necessarily, but I remember a few years ago, I encountered some, some missionaries of the church of the Latter-day Saints. You know, we know them, they want the white shirts and the black ties and they go around and uh, I remember they wanted to talk, so sure, I'll, I'll talk with you. And um, they, okay, you're Catholic, they find that out. This was before I was a priest. And then their strategy over the next, like, 20 minutes was consisting of trying to make me seem like Catholics and Mormons were basically the same. You know, oh, you believe this? Yeah, we we pretty much believe that, too. And again, not not to denigrate them too much, but... Mormonism is not really Christian at all, and they're very, very different insofar as not even sharing a, a common baptism. But that was the that was the strategy. Is like, well, let's just kind of make it seem like we're pretty much on the same page, and then we can kind of go in for this this final this blow here and and see if we can win them over. So Satan is is not. I'm not trying to compare the the missionary efforts of the Latter-day Saints to, towards the temptations of Satan. So please forgive me if I um, have done that. But just to, to say that Satan is always trying to find some common ground and says, like, look, we're on the, pretty much on the same page here. Let's just take this one more small step. Um, and that's certainly what he's doing to Jesus in the desert. Let's talk about now Father Peter's denial. Let's uh, touch on that, if you would. Sure. Yeah, so we know... Of course, Peter denied the Lord three times on, on the night of his arrest, and Jesus foretold that that would happen. He foretold it to Peter's face, and he, he references Satan, so it, it's relevant to, to asking ourselves, how is, how is Satan tempting us? And just to, get, to quote our Lord, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat, but I have prayed that your own faith may not fail. And once you have turned back, you must strengthen your brothers. So Jesus is sort of revealing Satan's strategies here, and it, it harkens us back, of course, to the book of Job, where Satan asks the Lord for permission to to wreak havoc on his people and, and on Job and to tempt them. And God allows that. Same thing here in the Gospel. Jesus says, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. And notice what Jesus doesn't say. He says, and I and I didn't let him, or I, I put a stop to that. I said, nope, you will not have access to my people. He does, he, says, he gives them access. He, in, in some ways, gives in to that demand of Satan to sift our Lord's disciples. But, but, Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail. Okay, well, who could be more powerful than that? The, the one mediator between God and man praying for us that our faith may not fail. We can't ever forget that when we're, at, when we're thinking about temptation. We have 
this Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Lamb seated on the on the throne, constantly interceding for us, constantly praying for us, and strengthening us in this battle. Uh, the other thing Jesus says, though, he says he he pretty much you know predicts the fall. He says you're once you have turned back. In other words, once you repent, then you must strengthen your brothers. So Jesus isn't naive in any way. He's he's recognizing the reality that that Satan has the power to tempt us and that he will be successful. And uh, Jesus is, is always keeping that door open. He's saying, now come back, repent. Father Michael, let's finish one of the powerful prayers that we pray, and we're starting to hear it come back in the churches. It was a prayer that used to be prayed quite a bit after Mass, but and I noticed there's a, kind of a resurgence, if you will, the St. Michael prayer, but St. Michael addresses Satan in, in Jude. Let's uh, touch on that for a little bit, if you would, this morning. Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad you mentioned the St. Michael prayer because it is seeming like it makes a little bit of a comeback. So so powerful for us to develop that devotion. But as you mentioned in the in the Bible, in the book of Jude, there's it's recounted uh, a dispute. It says there's a dispute that, that the archangel Michael had with the devil. And it's interesting how Michael reacts to this dispute. Uh, it says that the archangel Michael did not venture to pronounce a reviling judgment upon the devil, but instead said, may the Lord rebuke you. And I think that that's interesting and, and good for us to always remember that, that even Michael himself, so if, if anyone is given the power to stand up against Satan, to rebuke him, and to cast him out, it would be St. Michael, who was given the flaming sword, um, and it was charged with, with taking the lead in this battle. But even he is saying, I am not going to dare to pronounce the judgment upon you, but instead will say to you, the Lord, may the Lord rebuke you. So, you know, just always remember this, is that we are children of the Father and united to Jesus, and he's won the battle. So at the end of the day, whatever else we know about these temptations or we know about the the way that Satan wants to work in our lives, just remind ourselves and return to this truth. Take, give it over to the Lord. Let the Lord win the victory and then fight for you. Well, Father, we have uh, uh, really appreciate your time today. A lot of great information that you shared with us this morning, and we're grateful to you, and, and, and thank you for saying yes to uh, the vocation to the priesthood, and, and we just uh, will we'll keep you in prayer, and we thank you for your time sharing it with us this morning. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. If you can help keep shows like this on the air, then please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate. Your donation will be greatly appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 101.7 KJDM, Lindsburg, Salina, 105.7 KMDG, Hayes, 88.1 KRTT, Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM, Hayes. If today you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. <laughs>